0: are you ready that's what i'm talking about so jesus is speaking and he begins to tell these stories these stories kind of like the stories i'm about to tell you right now and he starts off first talking and saying which one of you which one of you men having a hundred sheep let's say that 99 of them are there you're out and you're counting your sheep and wait a minute Ninety-nine. Where, where's number 100? 97, 98, 99. Oh, he's missing one. Now, which one of you would not leave those 99 out in the wilderness and then go and search for that one lost sheep? And when you have found that sheep, you will take it. You will pick it up over your shoulders, and you will come home rejoicing. You will come home calling friends and brothers and sisters and cousins and mamas and dads and saying, listen, my sheep. That once was lost is now is found, and there is rejoicing that takes place. And then he says, Listen, when this happens, when there's even just one sinner that repents and comes back into into the kingdom, the heavens, the angels begin to rejoice. And there's such a great party over this one that has come back rather than the 99 that have been there the whole. Time. And so then he continues, but then he says this, and then which one of you ladies, if you had these ten coins, and all of a sudden you're counting and you think nine. Where's number 10? And you've lost that 10 coins. Which one of you would not turn on every light in the house, look under every cushion, look underneath every rug, search up and down, look in the cushions of the car seats? You would look everywhere to try to find this coin. And when you have found the coin, you call up neighbor, brother, sister, friend, mother, father, and you say, rejoice for me, for this coin that I had lost is now found. He says, again, the angels in heaven rejoice when one of these come into the kingdom. One more story he tells. And then he says, there, suppose, suppose there was this man. And this man had two sons. And one son comes to the father one day and says, Dad, give me my part of the inheritance. So which the father gives it to him. And then he goes off And he begins to spend the money, and he begins to waste all of the money on what the Bible calls prodigal living. And so he's spending it on all of the ladies, all of the expensive meals, all of these things. And then all of a sudden, a famine hits the land, and he is out of money, and he is out of friends. And he's there. And he finds himself at this place where he's even eating among the pigs. And the Bible tells us that he comes to himself. And he thinks, man, what have I done? Even the servants in my father's house have it better than this. This is what I will do. I will go back home and I will repent to my father. And so he goes and he's walking home. And he's walking, and he's thinking, and in in his mind, "This, this is what I'll do. I'll just be a servant in my father's house. And so he's on his way back home. Now, the Bible says this. And while he was still yet afar off, the father saw him coming. And he sees him down the road. And imagine this. At this moment, this Is where the theme music starts playing. That's not the right song. We had it all queued up. All right, let's stop. Let's just stop it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna get this right. Pause it. Look at me. Focus. Focus. 308 in the song. Rewind. Space-time continuum. And so the father sees the son afar off, and the theme music starts. Close enough. And he sees him, and all of a sudden the camera pans out, and the son's walking, and the father in slow motion, son, he was lost, and now he's found, and he comes in, and he says, quick, I want you to kill the fatted calf. I want you to take this ring and put it on his finger. I want you to take the robe and put it on his back. I want you to put new sandals on his feet because my son was lost and now he is found. Get ready because we are going to party. We are going to party. But then there's a moment. And the second son hears the party going on, and he begins to walk up. What's going on? And another servant tells him, listen, all of this, can you not smell the aroma in the air? Your father has killed the fatted calf. There's all kinds of steaks. There's fillets, and there's ribeyes, and there's porterhouse, and we are eating it up, and we are partying. Your brother was lost, and now he's found. And the older brother was then angry and he wouldn't enter but you know what happens the father came out to him as well and then the father says this son look Don't you know your brother was lost and now he's found? And the brother looks back to the father and said, Listen, all of this work that I've done for you these many years, I've busted my butt in the field for you. I've done everything I can to to feed this calf that you've now killed for the son. I've worked so hard. and, And you throw him a party. Don't you know he's gone off and he's done with all of your money? Look, you've never even given me a young goat. Let alone the fillets. And the father says, don't you realize all that I had was yours this whole time? You could have had a party at any time. Was it not right that we should celebrate your brother's return? And the story ends. And so, you're there and you're hearing these three stories. Now what's important is not just the fact that Jesus has told these stories, but what's really important is the context in which he has told these stories. So if we were back to back up just a little bit to Luke chapter 14, we find this in verse 25. Now a great multitude went with him, speaking of Jesus, and now so there's this great multitude of people that are now following Jesus. He turns to them and says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brother, his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And to which we would say, come on, Jesus, everyone knows that's not the way you grow a church. That's not the way you get a crowd to follow you. You've got to kind of pat them along the way. And Jesus is very upfront. This is the cost to following me. For which of you, intending to build a tower, whoever he, he, he has not first counted the cost to see whether he has not enough to finish it, least after he has laid the foundation, he is not able to finish, and people begin to mock him, saying, this is the man who began to build and he was not able to finish. So there's this group. People are following Jesus. They've seen signs. They've seen wonders. They've seen miracles. They begin to follow. And Jesus turns to the multitude and says, listen, I want to be very up front with what it means to call yourself a follower of Christ. This is what it means. You've got to leave everything to be my disciple. You've got to leave everything. So they're, they're hearing these words. And at the end of this chapter, right before he begins to tell these stories, he says this, salt is good. In verse 34, salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has an ear, let him hear. And so he's told this, and if you're there, you're thinking, wait wait a second. You instantly connect this kind of talk with salt back on his sermon on the mountain where he says, listen, you Are the salt of the earth? So there's he's directly relating this salt to being a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are gonna follow, you're gonna leave everything behind. You are to be salt to this world. Which kind of begs the question: well, why salt? Why did not Jesus say, why did not double negative? It's okay. Jesus say, You are the cilantro. Of the earth, you are the basil. You are the sweet rosemary. He says, "No, you are the salt." And then he uses this kind of language that it's neither fit for land nor for the dunghill. I don't think I need to describe to you what the dunghill is. I mean, pretty hardcore language that our Savior's using to describe exactly what it is to follow Him and to be salt. Um, this last week. Uh, I got it in my mind that I was going to build an outdoor shower, because I've just been tracking in all this beach sand into the house, and so I came up with the plan, I'm going to run the pipes right off of my hot water heater to the outdoors, I'll dig the thing, all this good stuff. and But there was a problem. There was a big tree uh, holly bush right there where I wanted to put the shower, and so I got, like, man, I got to dig this thing up and I got to put it somewhere else. Uh, But there is a problem. I usually have no green thumb at all. I kill most plants, small animals, all that kind of stuff. But so I'm like, I'm not going to kill this plant. It's a good plant. I'm going, it's going to be alive. So I know where I'm going to put it, but I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to get some fertilizer. I'm going to do everything right. I'm going to make sure this plant lives. So I go and I'm at Lowe's and I'm looking in the fertilizer section, and I see this bag of stuff called the black cow. And uh, the black cow is basically cow poop. And I'm like, okay, this is supposed to be the good stuff. It's the fertilizer. It's uh, composted and all that, that good stuff. Let's, let's do it. And I'm in line with this bag of cow poop, which is about 40 pounds or something of it. And I realize at this moment, I'm about to pay $4 for poop. <laughs> Like, there is something wrong with this. This is, and, and then this, like, thought comes in my mind that, man, I am a millionaire. By most of the world's standards, I am an absolute billionaire. I'm about to pay $4 for this in a world where over 2 billion people make $2 a day. Imagine me going to those people in India and saying, um, yeah, I just paid four, and actually I bought two bags of it, so I just paid eight bucks for cow manure they would just look at me like man i'd have to save up all week it's like man we are rich so i've bought this and i'm taking it and i'm filling the plant and i'm just realizing jesus is saying listen when salt has lost its flavor you're not not even good for manure we can't even compost you when salt has lost its flavor there's this certain thing about see here's the thing about salt salt's intention is not to draw itself draw attention unto itself but the intention of salt is to draw the flavor out of the food that it's being put into so when jesus says you are the salt of the earth we are the ones that are to come in and bring the flavor out of god's creation to bring the best out of other people, to bring the best out of this world. Imagine if you read Genesis 1 as almost a recipe. And God created the heavens and the earth, and there was light, and there was darkness, and there was the oceans, and there was dry land. And so he puts all this together, and it was good, and it was good. And at the very end, he adds a pinch of salt. He creates this thing called man, man to be the salt of the earth, to bring out all of the goodness that he had already made. And so there is something inside of that is created to bring out the good in God's creation. And so this is the scene for what Jesus says Next. And he begins with these stories. And in verse 15 and verse 1, it says this And then all of the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. The multitude has followed him. He has very, been very upfront. This is the price it's going to take to follow me. If you don't leave, father, mother, brother, sister, if you don't leave all those things, if you don't even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Listen, there's this also this thing about salt. If you're not going to be the salt of the earth, you're not even good for the dunghill. And what's it do? It brings sinners closer. Because there, I think there's something in the minds of those that drew close to Jesus that realized, I need you because this is what the world has told me all along that I'm good for anyway. All of these that said, you know what? You're, you're not worthy. You're not good enough. You're not good enough to be one of us Pharisees. You're not trained enough. You don't have enough teachings. You don't have, you're not smart enough. You're not the right race. You're not the right culture, all of these things, and so they drew near to him with this idea of this connection. Jesus speaks these words that on the outside seem so harsh, but these are not harsh words to these people. These are words of love. These are words of hope, of saying, listen, you're saying there's something inside of me that's, that's more than what other people have told me I am, and so they're drawn to Jesus. And at this moment Jesus is being the salt of the earth. He is bringing out what we were meant to live for the whole time. But then the Bible says this in verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes, which these are the religious leaders of the day, began to complain. And their complaint was this, saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he spoke Parables, and so there are those these sinners that are hearing these words of Jesus. These words that could seem harsh. Leave all, father, mother, brother, sister. Salt of the earth, not even good if it's lost its flavor. And they are drawn to him. But then there are these religious leaders that look at him and they just say, "Who does this guy think he is? Don't don't they realize who who, who I am? I'm I'm a Pharisee. I, I'm not just salt." I am cilantro. There's something more. I see their whole system was not built about being ones that could bring out the best in others. Their entire system was built around how others could bring their best to them. Catch that because that's important. These are the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus is saying, you're to be Saul. You're to bring out the best of others. And these leaders are living with the mindset of, you bring your best to me. You exalt me, all eyes on me. And so they want the best seats in the house. And so they pray the long prayers on the street corners. And they do all of these things for what the riches and the attention of man. Because they're not trying to bring out the best in others. They're trying to get the best for others themselves the question is have we ever played the pharisee are we living as salt are we ones that draw out the best in others or are we looking to have all the attention on us It sets the stage for these three stories that Jesus begins to tell. Now, these three stories, the story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Now, quick side note, um, if you look at how Jesus addressed each one, the first one addressed as uh, there was which one of you men having lost a sheep. But then the second one, which one of you ladies having lost a coin which goes to show you that back then it's just like now, the women always have the money. (laughs) Just thought I'd throw that in there. But he begins to tell these three stories, and the quite obvious common thread through all of the stories is something is lost and something is found. Now, in today's society, we have certain standards for Lost and founds. If, if, if you lose something at a certain place, there is the lost and found section. If you le- lose something out in the community, you could take it to the police department. They have their lost and found. You could go and claim it. Uh, but it was a little bit different back then for their lost and found. There is, a, there is actually um, evidence of there was a huge rock, a huge stone, just kind of like how uh, there's the wailing wall where people go and they pray at the wall. There was a stone in which this would be the lost and found stone. If you had lost something, this would be the place that was designated you would go to try to find it if someone else had found your item. Now, there were certain rules that applied to finding your item at this stone. You could go and you could look for it seven days after any festival had taken place. So there's all of these festivals, all of these traditions that are being upheld uh, by old, old Testament tradition. There's, there's these different feasts that are ta- taking place. And so after a feast had ended... You could go to this, this stone exactly seven days after it, and if the person had found your item, they would be there. Now, it was seven days because of this, because maybe a person had left the feast, and they had to travel up to three days home, and it would, and then they got home, and they realized, oh, man, I've lost this item. And so then the law was, well, we'll give them three days to get back, and then on the seventh day, the week is complete, and then that's when they can look and they can find their item. So imagine it. Remember, there's no cars, there's no no. no of that. Uh, You have gone to this festival. You've partied. You've had a great time. You get three days traveling home, and your husband's like, where's my wallet? Oh, man. It's not like you just quick jump in the car and go back to the store. It's three days to get back, and you get there in hopes that someone is at this stone. And so if you get there and someone had found your item, they would be standing out the stone and they would be crying out. They would say, listen, I've found this. I found this. Has anybody lost it? If you had lost that item, you could then go to that person and just like now, they wouldn't just give it back to you, but you would have to describe by some kind of personal mark on the item what it was. And if, if you knew what it was your item, like, hey, we lost I don't know, whatever it was. A bicycle, of course there's no bicycles, but that's what's coming to my mind. And it had uh, the, the, the wobbly wheel in front. Okay, obviously it's your bicycle. It had the wobbly wheel. Man, I was hoping I could get this bicycle. But it's yours, take it. So you'd have to describe the item. Now, there was something a little bit different about the next part of their lost and found. Not only would you have to return that item? But if the item that was lost, you would have to return any proceeds that you would gain off of that item in the meantime. So there's no statute of limitations. So... Say you've lost the item seven days later, that person didn't return, but say, say they returned ten years later, they see you out in the yard, you have their item, you still had to give it back to them. But you didn't only have to give it back to them, but you had to return any proceeds that you had gained from that item. So let me tell you a story that goes along with this in Jewish tradition. There was this man, and he was traveling. He was going from one place to another on a far-off trip. In the midst of his travel, he lost some of his hens. His hens then ended up at the house of this one particular rabbi. Now, all of a sudden, the hens begin to lay all of these eggs. So the wife of the house gathered all of the eggs, took them to the market, and traded all of these eggs for a goat. So they're at their house. There's these hens, and now there's this goat. Now, sometime later, the man comes back through town, and he sees one of his hens. he knocks on the door, he talks to the man of the house, and he says, "Listen, these were my hens. I had come through the town several years ago. This is what happened, and he identified the hens by certain markings on them and so whenever he began to leave, he took the hens, but he also took the goat, and that was every bit his right, so that was the setting of lost and found in those days. You not only lost that, but you lost, uh, you not only lost the item, but any proceeds would have to then be returned to that person. Remember that. We'll get back to it in a second. It's important. So, there's this idea, there's this obvious, um, excuse me, flow to these parables that Jesus is saying something has been lost and something has been found. But there's also something that's common with all three of them. There is a celebration that takes place. There's a celebration for the return of the sheep, there's a celebration for the return of the coin, there's a celebration for the return of the sun. And if you look at the celebration, they'd get better. And they get better to the point of where now the sun has come and we are killing the fatted calf. Here is the problem. The problem is within today's society, when we celebrate more the return of the sheep or the return of the coin than we do the return of the sun. See, the sheep in representing of maybe the job, the coin representing of maybe money. When man... I got this raise at work, and we begin to call, and we begin to celebrate, or man, this thing has happened, or this has happened, and we begin to celebrate, and we throw these great parties, but then when the sun returns, we fail to kill the fatted calf. Sometimes we celebrate more the worldly success than we do celebrate kingly kingdom success. And God's telling these stories, and he tells them one after another in this kind of succession to say, listen, this is what's really important. Because you didn't get it the first time. It's not not just the sheep. It's not just the coin. But what's really important is humanity. The reason why God came and died for us is because he loves people. And this is important because in the very next chapter, we get this, this other parable of a wicked servant but in that parable a question is posed and which is answered previously now in these three stories and the question is this which of you can be entrusted with what true riches and these three stories illustrate exactly what the true riches are the true riches of the son returning home that the angels in heaven celebrate and rejoice for our son was once dead and now he's alive. And we come back and we kill the fatted calf. Now that's kind of a hard thing to hear. Because it instantly makes us check our own spirits. It instantly puts us in, man, I remember all of those things that I celebrate God, have I ceased to celebrate the kingdom's success? When just one sinner repents, there is this party in heaven that's taking place. Man, it's wonderful that we got a raise. It's wonderful that you had a good week at work. It's wonderful that all the clients were good. It's wonderful that everything worked out the way it was supposed to. But what is the true riches? People. At the end of your life, when you're lying on your deathbed, I guarantee you, you won't be thinking, man, if I could have just worked a few more days. (laughs) If I could have put in a few more hours on the job. If I could have made just a little bit more money. You won't be thinking that you'll be thinking about your family and your friends, your mother and your father and these relationships that bring salt to the earth. Those ones that have brought out the best in you. And there will be a hope in your mind that, Lord, may I have lived that I have brought out the best in others. May people miss me when I'm gone, when I return home, may there be someone that kills the fatted calf. Lord, thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Thank you that while I was still afar off, you came running. And you gave me the robe and you gave me the ring and you gave me sandals for my feet and you ordered the fatted calf killed and we celebrate because I was dead and now I'm alive. And Lord, even if I could just be a servant in your household. It's better than this life that I was living. See, there's this realization in this parable in which Jesus is teaching two distinct groups of people and the sinners are drawn to him because they realize, I am lost and I need you. And there are, then there are those that, come on, let's be often, sometimes it's us. When we have found ourselves among the 99 and we have gotten very, very comfortable in church, and we've gotten very, very comfortable in our Christian radio and Christian television and all of these things that we do because we have gathered ourselves around people that are just like us. Because when we go out into the world, you got to get a little bit dirty. you got to get out there and you got to get around some people that drop the F-bomb every once in a while. <laughs> and you might just feel a little uncomfortable. But those are the type of people that were drawn to Jesus. And Jesus says, you know what? There's something more in your life than what you're living now. You're to be salt, and I'm going to bring out the best in you. Here is the reality. The reality is that we were standing by that rock, and we were shouting out that we were lost. And Jesus came up, and Jesus identified us by a mark. And Jesus said, he is mine. She is mine. These are the marks that I've placed on them. The blood that I have spilt is for them and they are mine. And not only them, but the proceeds of everything now that they have done or will done belong to me. And Jesus wants it all. And we are so thankful that Lord, you take every bit of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, and you say, I'm yours, and you want me. Take this lost sheep. Take this lost coin. Take this lost son. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that all of us are in need of you. Lord, we've tried to do it on our own. It has brought us nowhere. Lord, thank you that you came searching. You came searching for me. You threw me over your shoulder. You flicked on every light in the house. You looked under every rug. And you started making phone calls when you found me. I thank you that while I was afar off, you came running. And I thank you that even while I was like that older son, Standing outside the camp, you still came out to me. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org.